Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Um, it's great to be here. You know the cheapest way, I was standing back there, uh, jumped up with the band, obviously, as you saw, but I realised the cheapest way you can decorate any room is with worship. You know, before you, you spend any money in your house, you might have a little bit of the bankroll, furniture made out of Sweden or something like lamps or whatever, punch waves it's called, but uh, the cheapest way to decorate any room is with music, with worship, you do not have a cent in your pocket, you just start singing or uh, listening to music, you can turn a room that's heavy, it's dark, it doesn't matter what's going on in that room, and you can turn it into a sanctuary, just a simple tower of music. And when the Tower of Babel was... Um, it was happening, you read about it in the Old Testament, God had to scatter the tribes and scramble their language because they were in competition with God. But there's only there's one last language left on earth that can't be scrambled, and that is the vibrations of music. Even before it over someone, the devil doesn't have access to it. It can't be scrambled, it can't be confused. It's, it's clear now. We, in fact, ourselves are an instrument of praise. We are. Our genetics are vibrations. That's what they are. They're frequencies. Before you sign out, you're already an instrument of praise whether you realize it or not. So, uh, may you just close your eyes and forget about the screen, the lights, the, what's around you, and just, just consider God. Spend this time thinking about God. And I'll make room for you. 
on that pathway God knows best. Is that so narrow? There's only room for you and Jesus on that path. There's only room for him and the revelation that he's got for you and it's tailor-made. So allow him to resolve some things for you this morning. And let's be willing to not try to control our relationship with God, but just to come under his ways in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. You may be seated. Thanks again to Pop. Thank you, CJ. It's pregnant and all. She's leading worship. It's just. Uh, can you go and get the wrong coffee now? <laughs> what a girl. Yeah. Someone's putting their order through. It is indeed a privilege to be asked by um, my brother in law and sister in law, the McCuddens. Uh, I mean, it's nice. Chichoy says these beautiful things about me, but. And yeah, I'm not just saying this because I'm standing in his church, right? But he has indeed been one of the biggest influences on my life. There's a lot of things that have happened for Michelle and I and the kids that he wouldn't realise, but it's just been, you know, seed faith God's used him just to say something simple. Because Christian McCartan, I'll tell you something about it, he will never use a hundred words when only two will do. <laughs> and it drives me nuts because I'm a verbal processor, I'm an oxygen thief, and, you know, I like to talk things out, but. Sometimes you just go blah, 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 blah. I remember way back when I was a teenager, highly strung, you know, highly tuned nervous system. I was all over the place. I was up and down. My emotional landscape was all over the place. And I remember one day, Christian just waited for me to run out of things to say, and he said, Brian, just shut your mouth. And I've been doing that ever since. And it works. So thank you, Christian. Consider an all-inclusive thank you to past, present, and future. Ironic that that, that Chich did quote that, that scripture, Matthew 11, because in the lead-up to today, that was in fact the scripture that I felt to share out of. We're in Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. I've said this to this, so this will come up on the screen. This is Eugene Peterson's um, rewording, as it were, of what Jesus was saying. This is Encounter Sunday, right, where we encounter God. Can I just say the last thing you and I need is another clever message. Yeah. If you want that, jump onto the internet, listen to Stephen Verdict, and don't come to church. You'll get the greatest preaching you've ever heard. We don't need it. What we need is another encounter. Yeah. And that's why people stop coming to church. You can blame offence, you can blame blindness, you can blame deconstruction, but really it's because we stop having regular encounters with God. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer and said, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls, but spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. I see that hand. Right. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father's given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the Father does, nor the Father the way the Son does, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Right. And then, of course, verse 30 is that it's like a famous scripture. Yeah. You know, Matthew 11, verse 30 in the Bible is what stairway to heaven is. And in the, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's, it's a classic. He, he says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? It's almost like a rhetorical question. Yes, 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 yes. Tick, 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 tick. Yes, why are you asking me if you already know the answer? Just come to me. Wow. <coughs> Get away with me and you'll recover your life. And I'll show you how to take a real rest. He's saying not a manufactured rest, not a rest that's airbrushed or artificial, but a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Lend the unforced 
rhythms of grace, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Even though Jesus is asking a question in verse 30, I'm, I'm going to start the message today with a question. And I've found that low-value questions get low-value answers and high-value questions get high-value answers. So when the kids, you know, I say to the kids, you know, I've said this before in this church, when I say to the kids, you know, what do you want uh, for dinner? Mm-hmm. It's a low-value question. <laughs> but if I say how hungry I am, I just saved myself a hundred bucks. Because <laughs> they might have eaten at their friend's place. <laughs> so we've got to, you know, oh, just make, make whatever, Dad. So go to extraordinary lengths, so I'm not hungry, you know. So it's kind of like we've got to learn to ask high-value questions. And Jesus is continually asking us high-value questions. Never makes these rapid statements. So here's the question this morning that I want to start off with is, what is Jesus inviting you into? What's his invitation? Because he has a way for you and I to experience the fullness of life. And his invitation is always into loving union, deep intimacy and deep rest before anything else. That's his invitation. And uh, the heaviness that sometimes you and I feel is not comfortable. Sometimes we're convinced it has, but of course it hasn't. He says, seek first his kingdom. That's what he said earlier in the Gospels. And it doesn't mean just when you wake up in the morning at 6 a.m. If you happen to be a morning person and you get your coffee and you sit by the the window where the trees and you do your your quiet time, as it were. Seek first his kingdom means the first response in every situation. Yes, very good. That's what it means. According to Jesus, true life comes out of hidden life. It comes out of hidden life behind closed doors. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. His invitation is into the secret place. It is not into the place where we feel like we've got to plaster and project and broadcast our entire life on platforms for the world to see. We do that, and we wonder why people criticise. You know, every detail of our life is out there for the devil to use as a strategy or as a tactic to bring us down. But behind closed doors, the deeper you go into intimacy with Christ, the more invisible you become to the enemy. Very good. And that's his invitation. He's not trying to make your life harder. He's trying to make your life easier. Our life and our relationships and our work function absolutely beautifully when they flow out of a life with Christ. And Jesus had no issues with knowing what he was meant to do because of his deep connection with the Father. And all of us want the life of Jesus, but we have a tendency to skim over the way of Jesus and the truth of Jesus. This is on the way, the truth, and the life. So in other words, what was the way of Jesus? Maximum output for minimal effort. It's not a sign of laziness. It's, It's crystal clear about where it's coming from. The source of all accomplishment with minimal effort was that it was uncluttered, unhurried, uncomplicated. People think that that being simple is is sort of a sign of being uneducated and weak, but actually the higher you go up the mountain in worship, the more simple things become. The less complicated, the higher you go. It's narrowed down. God has a way of narrowing things down. Forget about that. Don't worry about that. Not sure where you picked up that ideology. Not sure I didn't tell you that. Thought I did this and this and this. And he said, I never asked you to do that. I only asked you to remember. Okay, so here's three reasons because, like, you know, we're a Pentecostal spirit-powered church. Three reasons why unhurried time and intimacy with Jesus is so powerful. 
I believe when you preach a message, like you, 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 some people are trying to preach messages that they haven't fully absorbed, or perhaps they're trying to give away Jesus where they're not in possession of him. And it's very important to be in possession of Christ. It's like something that you, you, know, you exchange. Well, I've got to have Jesus to give him away. You become the message. It's like tithing. I love Mark, who was sharing. Where is he? You haven't got your beard on. You were that last time I saw you had the beard. Very distinguished, of course, yeah. Barely. But I did recognize you because of the shirt you wore last night. I thought that's Mark's shirt. Do you have any other shirts? <laughs> Thank you, sir. No, I appreciate it. Um, tithing, it's, it's interesting. It's like it's almost become a, not a dirty word, but it's something that's almost you can't talk about. At parties, like politics and religion and, and how much money you make. I'll tell you something about tithing. is Tithing has got nothing to do with keeping the lights on or paying staff or anything like that. Tithing is uh, where you substantiate your worship. God doesn't need it. And it's not a strategy to manipulate the goodness of God. There have been times in my life I have poured out everything to God and he has been generous to me. And there are times I've withheld and he's still been generous to me. You can't manipulate the goodness of God. Yeah. Tithing is a response to the fact that there's nothing you can do to be loved by God anymore than you already are. And when you get that revelation, you'll, you will you just want to give it away because you become a vessel of You become a water bearer. And so I said that because over time we become what we do. You sing worship songs. Eventually there's an osmosis. You cross over and you don't know the time, day, or when, but you become the worship song. You start tithing eventually at some period of time over the course of your life, you become the tithe, you become the very thing you do. Okay, so three reasons, because I believe in take-home value. Let's let's put this into a into a, a succinct flow so can we understand, well, what is the benefit? Why is, why is the invitation that Jesus has got for us so powerful? And here's three reasons why. It's my favorite reason I'm going to kick off, is we become a non-anxious presence. When you've been with Jesus, you become a non-anxious presence. He is a non-anxious presence. When I spend time with Christ, when you spend time with Christ, it doesn't up the voltage of your anxiety. So good. <laughs> it lowers the voltage of it. He's, Jesus is healthy on all levels. There are no emergencies with Jesus. No emergencies. It's absolutely brilliant. He's like He comes down off the mountain, paraphrased, he's just done all of this work. And the disciples come up and go, where have you been? TMZ's looking for an interview. Everybody's talking. The internet's blown up. Come on, let's go into town. That's where the crowd's going. Ah, uh-uh, we're going this way. Off into some unknown part, the backwaters of Nazareth. And no one was around because he'd heard from his father. There's no emergencies. There's no popularity and fame with Jesus. Everything's good. Everything's going to be all right. We're in safe hands. Time with him lowers our need for control. Because you know the term anxiety is thrown around quite a lot, and it's a recurring theme throughout the Bible. Anxiety, all it means is control. That's all it means. Like We know what it means in terms of the chemical reaction that takes place, triggered by thought, pulse goes up, have to touch the walls, get grounded, take your shoes and socks off, help the poor, put your feet on grass. We've heard it all. But really, let's, let's take the axe to the root of the tree. You can't counsel the sinful nature, you have to crucify it. And anxiety comes from control. That's its origin. So come away with Jesus and just maybe relinquish control and just say, it doesn't all depend on me. You won't need to go on a diet, you'll feel lighter. (laughs) 
because all of the government and the heaviness that you assume the responsibility of will just evaporate. You and I are image bearers, we're not burden bearers. When we join our life, we discover that he's gentle, he's humble, he's easy to please, and most of all, he's a rest. He's a non-anxious presence. And this Western culture that we've all grown up in and we've been absorbed in and we've had to participate in to survive is a very anxious culture. It's not really compatible with the way of Jesus, which is why so many people, you ever heard someone say, I don't get church. You'll get church if you get Jesus. Ed Friedman is a great author. I always get in trouble when I quote because the teachers say to me, if you're going to quote, you have to say the book and the paragraph and the page. Anyway, I'm not going to give you that. <laughs> Ed Friedman, he's a terrific uh, Jewish rabbi from New York in the 80s, wrote about the anxious culture in the West. He, he had to drop on all of this 40, 50 years before it ever became a thing. And he said, we arrive at a place, fine before we get there, and then we arrive and, 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 and the anxiety in our life spikes. It goes up, right? And you think, hang on a minute, I felt fine in the car before. And that's because anxiety dominates churches, communities, families, societies, workplaces. It's a gravitational pull. And it swells in the atmosphere, seeking to pull you into its orbit and to make you nervous. And anxiety gets passed, like, in a grid, from person to person to person to person to person to person to person. And you think, oh, oh, and it and triggers the need to perform and overfunction. But really... Jesus came to lower the voltage of that. And if you and I are going to be his hands and his feet, before you stand on a soapbox and start preaching the word or feed the sick or do acts of justice and take a selfie while you're standing next to the homeless man, why don't you just try being a non-anxious presence in society? So you walk into a room and because of what's going on on the inside, you walk in and you're not overcome by the externals. You overcome the externals by what's going on in your interior world. That's the invitation. He's like, keep company with me. You walk into a room and everything changes. Darkness shifts. And people are like, whenever I'm around that person, I always fall in love with Jesus. When the anointing gets on you and I, we're extremely vulnerable because it becomes attractive. It's Jesus who makes us beautiful. When you take Jesus out of our lives and we're average and mediocre at best, but in that earthenware vessel, that cracked pot that's broken, you pour the oil into that and you become beautiful. But the problem is that you're most vulnerable when you're beautiful because people are attracted to you. And if you haven't settled your identity and your need for affirmation and all those things that, that became strategies to employ to get your needs met as growing up, you will use that anointing to fill a need that only God can fill. When Jesus comes on you and you become magnetic and attractive, your job, your one job, one job only, and that's to point people to Christ. But point them to you, it's you have to tell them the source. Connect them to Christ and get out of there. You are a messenger, you are not the message. Paul was crystal clear in Corinthians, he said, we're just Aaron brothers, for goodness sake. He said, our lives filled up with that brightness. He said that it's easy to confuse the message as though it were us. It's Jesus. So you leave the gift and the message at the door and you get out of there. You don't spoil the surprise. We may have been liberated by the Western culture on many levels, but we certainly haven't been spiritually or emotionally fulfilled by it. You can't solve this interior problem of humanity with an external solution. It doesn't work. 
And there's a lot of people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s that are still not at peace because they keep trying to solve an interior problem with an external solution. Jesus did not come to, to form a political party to solve a spiritual problem. He can only solve a spiritual problem with a spiritual solution. And this, this rest that Jesus is talking about, this invitation, it's both our weapon and our inheritance. Rest is your weapon. The deeper you go, the more powerful you and I become. Because your mind, my mind, it becomes like untouched water after we deeply encounter Christ. Okay, that's number one. Number two is we stop trying so hard. We stop trying so hard. We stop trying to act independently from Jesus. You can't outsmart God. No one can plan your life or my life better than God. And it's interesting, I say this to my college class all the time, right, hands up, those of you who continually on a regular basis ask people to pray for you. And all these hands go, I'm like, why don't you just go to the source? We all think that the moment of our existence was the time of conception, but it's not. You existed in God's imagination before the creation of the world. That was actually when you were, that was the origin of your existence in his imagination. And so this is, this is a common problem. We, we're constantly going to create things, right? But we're only getting it in part. Why don't you just go to the source? Why don't you go to the one who actually fashioned and formed you and decided before the creation of the world what you're going to look like, your gift mix, your temperament, your bone structure, your frame, your ideas, the way you receive things, your filter, like everything, family of origin, the works. Go to the source and ask, what's underneath what I'm feeling right now? What's behind what I'm going through right now? Go to the source. Rather than expecting a created thing to, to actually communicate to you what only God can tell you. Jesus didn't get sucked into the demands and the expectations, the disappointments or the approval of others. It was not a thing. And he's not expecting you and I to do everything. We, we quit the, the, the form of moral scorekeeping and overfunctioning of everything with Jesus. It's like this moral scorekeeping. I've got to, you know, there's no room for, for failure. You know, I'm not free to fail. Perfection is a real killer. Perfection is bordering on psychosis because it's unattainable. And make no mistake, when the Bible says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and it does say it a few times, Paul certainly it's a recurring thing for all throughout the letters. It means to be mature. To be mature is, is to actually relinquish control and to know that to, to actually be at home with yourself. Maturity is to be home with yourself, to recognize how fragile you are, and you now contend to rely on the mercy of God. Everything is a gift. That's what it means. So we, we stop trying so hard when we've accepted his invitation, and we disconnect from the culture, we quit perfection. And we recognize that we only have enough time to do the will of God. We don't have less time. We don't have more time. We just have enough time. And I will continually say this when I preach and slip it into as many messages as I possibly can because I think it's a continual word that we need to hear. If the needs around you are enormous and your inbox is never going to be empty, which is going to be the case for all of us, but it's got you tense, frantic, scattered, not present, hurried, anxious and trying way too hard, it's for one of two reasons, either all of those things are not the will of God, or they are the will of God, but somebody else should be doing it. 
Ronald Rollsheis is another author that I love who wrote a terrific book called Sacred Fire. And he says, we come from God and we return to God and we have no say in the matter. Why do we take ourselves so seriously in between? We're, we're actually supposed to take his presence and his word seriously, but not ourselves. And the last point this morning is we become a safe person. Best question you can ask yourself is not what am I doing or how am I going? Because you go to parties, right? People are like, oh, so what are you doing? Or hey, going. It's classic, right? It's just, it's just, it rolls off the tongue. Sometimes we don't even realize we're asking, hey, going. Hey, going is like, it's got to do with overall life happiness. What's underneath that question? What, hey, going, what's, what's all overall life happiness? Hey, going. What you're doing has really got to do with success. Are you kicking goals? You know, how's your status, how's your reputation? You're up one up on you were last year, this sort of thing. But they are not the questions that Jesus is asking. The best question you can ask yourself is, who am I becoming? Who are we becoming? Because who we are is way more important than what we do. What we do comes out of who we are. An unhurried person is an emotionally and spiritually safe person to be around. And if you and I say we've been with Jesus and yet we create tension in a room when we walk in, we have to ask ourselves a question whether we've really been with Jesus. <laughs> if we say, oh, I've been praying and seeking Jesus, the whole thing, well, it's possible that your time under the waterfall is insufficient. Because if you come into a room and people just, tension is created and you're not necessarily safe to be around, you've got to question the sufficiency of your intimacy with Christ. Who are you becoming? And, and you think, consider Martha and Mary, for goodness sake, like what a great story. We all want the life of God, but we're missing the way. And Martha was doing for God. She was attending to the needs, but she was missing Jesus in the process. And you can gain a ministry and lose your soul at the same time. It's possible. Many of us have done it. You gain a ministry, you, you, you help and help and help and do all these things, but your soul is fractured in the process. It becomes inflamed. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and on paper it looks like she's lazy, she's disengaged. She's really not that committed or invested. And yet Jesus says to Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but she's chosen what's better. I'll tell you why what she chose is better is because she's undistracted. Jesus wants your attention. Not like he's sitting in rows in a school. He wants your attention. And he would often withdraw to lonely places and pray. Was it actually for him? No, it was for others. We go up the mountain to come down the mountain. The most loving thing you and I can do for other people is withdraw and spend time with Christ. That's the most loving thing you can do. Before you actually make them dinner, or pick up their kids from school, the most loving thing you can do is personal holiness in the secret place. Because when you emerge, you become a safe person to be alone with Christ on a regular basis. Your work will be sustained. And when we've been with Christ, we stop trying to fix others. We stop trying to judge and criticize another person's spiritual journey. Without Christ and without the acceptance of this invitation, your, your Christian life and my Christian life goes something like this. I'm okay, you're not okay, let me fix you. <laughs> but you come out of 
out of the Aramos, the quiet place with Jesus on a regular basis. You come out and you don't interfere with God's timetable for another. You don't, you just become a safe person, a non-anxious presence, the hands and feet of Christ. And people are so aware of Jesus that they themselves want to withdraw as well. I want to finish by saying this, and maybe the band can jump up. It's always nice when the band comes up. Not for any other reason, but we start with worship and finish with worship. We only have good thoughts towards other people, because God only has good thoughts towards us. I know this is going to be hard for some of us to fully appreciate, but he only has good thoughts towards you and I. No bad thoughts. None whatsoever. And... You can smile and make all the right noises, body language can be all right, but your thoughts towards other people cannot be cool, not be okay. God is wanting us to have good thoughts towards each other, to think beautiful thoughts, to be a soft, warm and approachable person so that we can in fact become a great gift in society. Let's not miss his invitation into a deep life with him. Amen. I wonder if we just close our eyes. Like I say to my college classes, there's a lot of content out there. Knowledge is not going to save you. It's not going to save you and I. It's knowledge of the earth has become an idol. The last thing we need is more content. What we need to do is apply the content we've already received if we're going to see change. So let's enjoy this moment. And let's allow Jesus to become what he needs to become for you in this moment as a result of what I've said. And what I've said that's right for you at this time. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.